Hello, it's 22nd of August 2017 and this is episode 39 of Scavengers Horde, a Styles podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Styles news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Uh, it's not been a very Star Warsy week, really. Like, <laughs> aside true. from keep, yeah, aside from keeping up with the little bit of news that we've had, um, yeah, I've been up to other things. So sometimes yeah. it's nice to take a fandom break. That's true. How about you? Yeah, no, this has kind of been like an enforced fandom break because there really hasn't been much to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like it's mainly been about doing other things, which has been nice because there's lots of other fun things to do. I saw Atomic yeah. Blonde, which was really, really good. Like it oh, had nice. a weak first half, but it got really amazing in the second half. And cool. it was mainly because there was really spectacular action. And I'm not normally an action person, but the action was so well done that I just couldn't help but be swept up in it. And it was really cool. And just seeing Sholly's fur on as a complete badass. It, it was just great. Um, mm. So yeah, I recommend that. Not Star Wars, but really good. Um, I saw Logan Lucky, which I guess is sort of related to Star Wars. It's <laughs> definitely Adam more Driver's related than Atomic Blonde. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought he was great in it, but it was also just a great movie overall. It was very funny and charming. So yeah. I recommend that to people. No, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It's out here on Thursday or Friday. But I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to catch it like as soon as it comes out because I'm going away. But I'll catch it soon. I'm definitely going to see it. Um, because yeah, Adam Driver besides, it just seems like a really fun movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's going to be good. Um, right, just to get down to business, if you haven't already, please do rate and review us on iTunes because that really helps us out and helps to spread the word about the podcast. Um, and if you have any questions for the podcast, because believe it or not, we are actually going to have a question section this time. I know it's really exciting. Um, you can email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right, so then the first story in the news segment is that there is an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie in the earliest stages of development. And this story is from The Hollywood Reporter, so a very reliable source. And the story goes... Stephen Daldry is Star Wars's newest hope. The Oscar-nominated director behind Billy Elliot in The Hours is in early talks to helm a Star Wars standalone movie centering on Obi-Wan Kenobi, The Hollywood Reporter has learned. Sources say talks are at the earliest stages and that this project has no script. If a deal is made, Daldry would oversee the development and writing with Lucasfilm Brass. The Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone is one of several projects being developed by Lucasfilm and Disney that fall outside the trilogies telling the saga of the Skywalker family. A Han Solo movie is now in the final stages of shooting under new director Ron Howard, and Lucasfilm is also considering picks centering on Yoda and bounty hunter Boba Fett, among other characters. In the original Star Wars trilogy, Kenobi is a desert-dwelling and war-weary hermit who later proves to be a wise and powerful warrior, brandishing a lightsaber. He is briefly a mentor to a young Luke Skywalker before being cut down by Darth Vader, his former pupil. Alec Guinness's portrayal of Kenobi garnered him an Oscar nomination. The character played a central role in the George Lucas-directed prequels, which recount the origin of Vader and his betrayal of Kenobi in The Jedi. Ewan McGregor, who played the younger Kenobi in the prequels, has said he would be open to playing the character again. Sources stress, however, that since there is no script, no actor is attached. 
Daldry Hales from the theatre world made his feature debut with 2000's Billy Elliot, which netted him his first directing Oscar nomination. He followed that up with Syrian dramas The Hours and The Reader, which also netted him directing nominations. Daldry most recently directed episodes of Netflix's period drama The Crown, which garnered him an Emmy, Emmy nomination. Well, it's like his CV. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what did you think about this news, Kirsty? Were you intrigued? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we've been hearing rumours about it for quite some time, and lots of fans really want an Obi-Wan movie, so I saw lots of people very happy about this. Yeah, so... Um, I'm not allowing myself to get too excited because it's such early days, as yeah. the article makes clear. So they don't have a script yet, if we're to believe this. Yeah. So we don't know what era it would be in. Obviously, we don't know if Ewan McGregor would be Obi-Wan again, because it depends on like the age and whether he's available. Mm. Um, so if there's a good story to tell here, that's excellent. But it kind of depends what they end up doing with it, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that's what it's all about for me. It's about the story. If they can tell a great story about Obi-Wan Kenobi, that's awesome and I'm there for it and I'm really excited. But I guess just the idea, like the vague concept that we're going to get an Obi-Wan movie, that alone doesn't excite me too much. Like Obi-Wan, like he's a fine character, but he's never been one of my favourites. And I like Ewan as the character, but I wasn't one of those people like banging their fists against the table demanding an Obi-Wan spin-off because that's just not been very high on my priority list. Um, But yeah, like I totally understand why other people are big fans of that character and are super enthusiastic about the prospect, like of an Obi-Wan movie. And I can see interesting avenues they could take to tell a story about him. I guess my main concern would be I don't want them to do anything that would... like affect how we see A New Hope in a negative way because Mm. when you watch A New Hope in conjunction with Revenge of the Sith especially, you really do get the impression that Obi-Wan has just been like shuffling about that desert not doing too much for 20 years while he's been waiting for Luke to grow up and Mm. like fulfil his destiny and I find there's something quite poignant in that, this man who gave up his former life like purely to serve the new hope that is embodied by Luke Skywalker and I don't know I guess I just have mixed feelings about is some of that lost if you still have Obi-Wan going off and having these separate adventures like when he's really just meant to be devoting himself to Luke I don't know what what do you think I guess that in itself would depend on what kind of story they ended up telling because like you say he was there for 20 years so if they have a film that spans just the period of a couple days then that doesn't affect the big picture too much yeah um the story can be smaller like it, it could still feel epic in it in and of itself but if you look at it in terms of his actual time on Tatooine it could be like a very small thing that is just like yeah he was still there watching over Luke yeah. being a hermit most of the time um but I also I don't think they would go this way because it's probably a bit too experimental for Star Wars and because it's just such a huge franchise but I kind of love the idea of them going for something really small and a bit more avant-garde like a more of a character piece because Ewan has the talent if they ended up casting him yeah they could pull, pull it off um but I, I'm a fan like of really well executed films that kind of are about the small details of daily life yeah sure I feel like they could do something really profound of Obi-Wan but yeah. Who knows if that's what it would end up being. Like it's really too early for us to tell. So Yeah. 
Now, that's a good point. So I think some of the most poignant and like effective moments in The Force Awakens, they are those moments, just showing you like the little details of people's existences. Like mm. that montage showing like Rey just living her life. And there's some really nice like, little quiet moments where she's eating her bread and she's tidy in her little home and that kind of thing. They're the kind of things that lots of movies neglect to include, but they really add so much. And yeah, if they were to take that to the next level and really have like an intimate, small-scale character drama, like obviously with like the space shit and stuff that you expect from Wars <laughs> as well, um, I would definitely be more excited for something like that because... Yeah, then it promises like new insights and a depth of characterization that I don't think we've really got with Obi-Wan before. Right. I mean, if you think about it, the end of Revenge of the Sith kind of offers some potential pathways. Like Yoda tells him about Qui-Gon becoming a force ghost. So it it kind of implies that Obi-Wan, once he gets to Tatooine, he doesn't just lock himself away and not keep learning or connecting with the force in any way. Yeah. Um, So there are things that he could be doing. It just depends what they end up going for yeah Um, and i know i've been banging the drum like clamoring for a female director or a non-white director but i do think that stephen doldry's work is impressive like i have always loved billy elliott like i think that's a great movie um the hours um and the reader they're good films too Mm. so it's a quality choice if that's what ends up happening yeah Um, so it's not like there's any cause for concern or anything there yeah um just hoping for more diversity in future. Yeah, definitely. Like Daldry is really striking to me because he seems like such a conservative choice. He's very much like a prestige director. Like I think it says all that his most recent gig has been working on The Crown, which is like mm. the epitome of like genteel British drama. Like even though it's on Netflix, like it is prestige drama. Um, and maybe they're trying to go after some Oscars. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, that'd be awesome. See, um, you McGregor, best actor for Obi Wan Kenobi, give me. Um, but yeah, like when you compare it to the choices they were making, like in 2014, when it's like we're gonna ca- we're gonna choose Ryan Johnson, we're gonna choose Lord and Miller, we're gonna choose choose Colin Trevorrow. These those were all like relatively young, like to varying degrees, innovative, like and daring filmmakers. And now they really do seem to be going more for like the old hands. Like this, mm. I think Stephen Daldry has a much. Stephen Daldry is much closer to Ron Howard than he is to Ron Johnson, basically. Right. I, I don't think he's quite the Ron Howard level of established Hollywood veteran because Ron Howard has been around f- since forever in Hollywood. But yeah, he is still very like established and reliable. And they clearly want people they can trust, basically. I don't think they want to take as many risks, which is understandable, but. There is some part of me that thinks, what are they losing by being more conservative like this? Mm. Yeah, I guess, it, again, it's something that's hard to tell, right? Because we haven't seen the movies yet. Like, we were just talking about Han Solo before we started, and there's news to come to discuss later. Yeah. Um, and we we won't see what the other film would have been that Lord and Miller would have made. Yeah. So um, it's really hard to say. But, yeah, it's it's something that I'm like... In the back of my mind, I'm like, mm, is this going to affect their um, choices to go for more diverse, in perhaps some people's views, riskier, more experimental choices? Because yeah. um, if you want to prioritize diversity, you are going to have to take risks on people who don't have as impressive or extensive a back catalog. Because yeah. it's been harder historically for women to get those kind of opportunities in Hollywood. 
Yeah. So if you tend, to, if you're deciding to go after a female director, unless you go for someone like Catherine Bigelow, um, it's probably going to be someone who's a bit more of a newcomer. Yeah. So wondering if this will change that kind of thing now. Yeah. No, it's true. It does make it seem like a bit more up in the air, like as to whether they'll go down that route, which would be really sad because come on, you took a risk, like in air quotes, on Colin Trevorrow, but you can't take a risk on a woman or a black filmmaker, for example. You know, mm-hmm. it's frustrating because they'd take certain kinds of risks before in terms of relatively untested green directors, but they were all white men. And now it seems like they're not even going for untested white male directors. They're going for very much tried and tested white male directors. So yeah, what opportunities are there going to be for directors from ethnic minorities or female directors like based on this precedent like hopefully they prove me wrong and they start taking risks again but i definitely think they're being conservative for the time being Mm. i mean i guess we'll see what happens with colin trevorrow we've already had jack fawn come along so yeah exactly yeah so much is up in the air i was thinking just briefly to go back to the story of the obi-wan movie like do you kind of feel that the threat because presumably there has to be some kind of threat or negative force for Obi-Wan to be resisting or fighting against. Um, I kind of feel that has to be a threat against Luke somehow, like either direct yeah. or indirect. Like, I, I, I don't think it can be something completely separate from that because it goes back to what I was saying about negatively impacting on, on A New Hope because this man like sacrificed everything to look out for this boy and to protect this boy. And I think then if he goes off and like saves Coruscant, like just completely randomly and completely like away from Tatooine and away from Luke Skywalker, that would just ring very false to me. Would you agree with that, or what do you think? Oh no, I do, and I, I guess the only thing for me is that they would have to make it quite different from what happened in Rebels last season. Mm. So there, obviously, Obi Wan was protecting Luke because Maul came to find him for revenge, and then found out that he was protecting Luke. Yeah. Um, and that, that was when Obi-Wan was like, right, I'll kill this guy now. Yeah. Um, so but I guess it, it would make sense for it to be in, in that vein, because like you say, that's that's his purpose there. And that's kind of what he's devoted the rest of his life to. Yeah. Um, so Tatooine is obviously a place with potential dangers. Um, the huts are there. So there could be something involved there. Like if, if it didn't end up doing the Jabba movie that has been rumored. <laughs> Thanks, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> um, they could combine them in some way there. Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that could crop up as a, as a threat. So yeah. I, I've seen some people hope that Vader would be the villain of this movie, but I can't see how that would happen without being... Uh, that That would have huge knock-on effects to how you would perceive the rest of the, the story, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because... Um, like, we already have things that have been added in, like, with the comics that um, before Empire, um, Vader is already aware that Luke is his son. Like, before Palpatine tells him, he already knows. Yeah. Um, and, like, they have confrontations in the comics as well that don't appear in the in the trilogy itself. So, things like that are already starting to have an impact on, like, not everyone, obviously, because most fans will not read the comics or, you know, lots of people... They've never read a Star Wars comic before like that. So that doesn't factor into their understanding. But for people who have and are even aware that it's just there now as part of the story, when you go back and watch the films now, you think, oh, that kind of does change some of the ways in which Vader interacts with Luke or um, the way he responds to the Emperor. Like you yeah. just see something differently in it after that. So yeah. I guess it keeps it fresh in a way. Yeah. 
No, like it's, I guess it's like the work of art that's constantly you know, changing and evolving as they add new context to it and they keep on building upon our existing understanding. And it's exciting, but it's also dangerous because there's room for them to really mess it up. But yeah, mm. like, there's also room for them to do really exciting and cool things. So fingers crossed it's the latter. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm still optimistic about the Han Solo movie. Yeah. Um, because another way for them to go back and enrich the character. So if, it, if it's pulled off well, then it should be a good thing. Exactly. How do you feel about a Yoda movie? <laughs> oh, God, the Yoda movie. Um, pass. <laughs> serious hard pass. What is it the kids say on this Tinder business? Is it like swipe left or something? <laughs> I, I, I would definitely know. swipe left if that is correct. Yeah, so it's like, no. <laughs> Just no. I, I don't see any potential in that at all. I'm sorry, but it's like, oh, God, no. I guess it would just be kind of like an extended Clone Wars episode. Yeah, like uh, that. When I was watching the Clone Wars, one of the episodes I watched was Yoda centric, and I'm sorry, I'm sure some Clone Wars fans will like want to burn me at the stake, but I found the Yoda episodes the most boring. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh dear, I can't be doing with this. I like Yoda the most in the Clone Wars. Mm. Maybe that's not most people's views, but um. Yeah, I just, I I would be very interested to see if they decided to do that, what kind of story they'd be telling. Yeah, so. like I hope it's not like a love story for Yoda, like Yoda, <laughs> Yoda and Yaddle, like true that love. I would watch. I, I'd certainly be intrigued to see how they do it, like, and I'd also want to see how they'd approach it with like the whole practical effects thing. Yeah, because, exactly. Like obviously Yoda was um. CGI for Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and he was a rather lame looking puppet for Phantom Menace until they changed him to a digital one <laughs> um, but yeah like are you just going to come straight out and like admit nah it really is better to do a digital Yoda now thanks sorry we know you're nostalgic for the puppet but yeah it's digital or would they really go hardcore on the practical effects thing and make him a puppet that's like a big question mark for me <sighs> This is this is the thing about having a potential Yoda movie, right? Like, you can you have a puppet for that amount of screen time and be convincing? Yeah. Who knows? Be like the Dark Crystal. Yeah. I mean, you know what? If they go for something like that and they really play it up with, like, that's the intent. Yeah. I could be down with that. No, I've I always think, found Yoda kind of creepy. I, I think if they did the whole movie, like, hardcore with puppets, then I would totally be in for that because I think that would be a genuine artistic endeavour and I'd be so curious to see what they could do with it. But I mm. don't think they'd have the balls to go that far. There would be humans. There would be, like, a stereotypical Hollywood narrative to some degree. Um, but yeah, like, Dark Crystal with Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Um, right, and then the next story is actually a bit of breaking news that came out literally just before we started podcasting. Um, and this is from Deadline. And it's that Michael K. Williams's role has been cut from the Star Wars Han Solo movie amid reshoots. And the story goes, Michael K. Williams, an Emmy nominee for his supporting role in HBO's The Night Of, will not be in the new Star Wars standalone Han Solo movie after all. His part has been cut amid the reshoots now underway with new director Ron Howard. 
Williams said the revamped production schedule conflicted with his commitment to spy drama The Red Sea Diving Resort, his new movie now shooting in South Africa with Ben Kingsley and Chris Evans. I felt great about what I created of the directors that I worked with, said Williams, who was cast in the Han Solo origin story by original Helming duo Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who exited in June. It is what it is. When Ron Howard got hired to finish out the film, there were some reshoot issues that needed to be done in regards to my character, in order for it to match the new direction which the producers wanted Ron to carry the film in, Williams told Deadline, and that would have required me on a plane a month ago to London, to Pinewood, to do reshoots. But I'm here, on location in Africa, it's scheduling. I'm not going to be back on the market until the end of November after his Sundance TV series, Hap and Leonard, and for them to wait that long for me, that would have pushed back the release date, which I believe is in May 2018. They wanted me now. I couldn't go. So they had to clip, clip, clip. <laughs> Plot and character details had been kept under wraps, but Williams said he played a half-human, half-animal in the film, and that we mm. created a kick-ass character, in my opinion. I'm proud of it. Howard took over from Miller and Lord in late June after the duo left the project due to creative differences. Production resumed in July. And Lucasfilm and Disney st and Lucasfilm and Disney are still targeting their original May twenty fifth, twenty eighteen release date. I don't think that me not being in the Star Wars family is final, Williams said. I left with a very good taste in my mouth about the whole family, and I hope that I left a good taste in their mouth. They're a great group of people, the Lucas family. <laughs> 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 that last comment is so weird. <laughs> it's very like family family. Yeah, we're all a happy, happy family, aren't we? <laughs> smile, that happy, happy smile. <laughs> it's like, mm. Bless. And um, yeah, this is interesting. What, what did you think, Kirsty? So I know that you're excited to see um, Michael K. Williams in the movie. I was, along with Donald Glover. He was the, one of the people I was most excited about when they announced that they were cast because I love him as Omar in The Wire so much. Yeah. So great. Um, so this was a little bit disappointing, but it makes sense. That they're talking about the reasons, you know, obviously the scheduling, uh, it's just not going to work out sometimes. Like if they have to do such extensive reshoots and other people have projects that are already lined up, it's just not, it's not going to happen. So yeah, yeah, but I like, he's not burning bridges, obviously he's very complimentary and you never know he could be in something else in the future. So exactly. He's been very diplomatic. I find yeah. it interesting about the details of the character that he was playing half animal, half human. Uh, does that just mean humanoid? Because <laughs> it's a really weird way of phrasing it. Like, like, does he mean alien? Yeah, it kind of gave me like visions of him like having like fluffy ears and a tail or something. Yeah, it's like a centaur or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> which would be freaking badass, and I would love it. But I'm not sure that's the way they're going. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting, and it really. I think indicates the extent of the changes that are being made to the film. Mm. Um, like obviously the scheduling differences line seems completely honest here because sometimes that's just used as like a screen to hide the fact that there's much more serious issues going on beneath the surface. But here it very legitimately seems to be while well, they were doing months of reshoots and I could not do these months of reshoots because I had something else. Soz. Um, and that was very clearly actually the case um but yeah from what he's saying it's really profound differences and it indicates that to me it indicates that there probably won't be much of lord and miller's footage left in the final film i think it's going to very much be a ron howard film and lord and miller film by the end of the day 
Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that we probably won't ever know for sure. Like, even with the Rogue One stuff, it's not clear to me what Scarif Edwards' work and what's Tony Gilroy's. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they're probably going to always want to keep that stuff on the down low because it kind of draws more attention to the fact that they're making all these changes. But I do think you're right. I think by the end of it, the finished product is going to be Ron Howard with some scenes, inevitably, that were shot by Lord and Miller. So. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I think that is going to be very, very interesting to see who actually gets the credit on the mm. film in the end. So I do think it will probably be Lord and Miller or Ron Howard. And right now, all my instincts are pointed towards Ron Howard, especially because of how they're approaching it on social media. Because Ron Howard is literally doing like daily updates on his social media about the Han Solo movie. Like he's posting photos and video and it's all this content to like, I think it's about winning back trust from people because obviously it shook a lot of people's trust in the project when they announced this huge change behind the scenes and it's also about presenting Ron Howard as like this major creative force behind the project so Mm -hmm. it's saying this is mine this is my vision and I'm in control of things now and I'm not sure they'd be being so loud and proud about it if there was still any intention to have Lord and Miller's name on the credits yeah it's almost the reverse from what happened with Rogue One really isn't it yeah so interesting because with Rogue One we obviously know Tony Gilroy came in and did a hell of a lot of heavy lifting behind the scenes but it's certainly not directed by Tony Gilroy at the end of Rogue One they very much wanted to keep Gareth Edwards on as the public face of that film um I think quite clearly because that's a better look for them from a PR standpoint because it never looks good to replace your director um or to like openly proclaim that you were so unhappy with their work that you had to bring someone else in to make major changes to the film. Mm. Um, So, yeah, with that project, they kept it very discreet and under wraps, but for reasons that we discussed when the news first came out about the Han Solo movie, it's clearly a very different situation, and it's clearly very much... It's clearly much more tense and fractious with Lord and Miller. So, yeah, I I don't think there's going to be, like, any nice-nice, let's pretend that you're actually involved anymore because they're clearly not yeah it's sad it is really sad and i'm sure it was awful for everyone involved on all the different sides but yeah it's interesting just to get like little glimpses at what is actually going on behind the scenes through things like this yeah i think donald glover was speaking in the last couple of weeks quite candidly about it um saying that he was a bit worried when ron howard came on board because he was like well he wasn't the guy who hired me. Yeah. I was hired by Lord and Miller. So it's kind of this thing where it's like, okay, am I, would I have been your first choice for the part of Lando? Or? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I, obviously you still hope it's all going to work out for the best. Like, and it's, you know, likely going to be a very good movie, but um, yeah, there's no getting around the fact that it hasn't been smooth sailing. Exactly. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about the Williams story? Um, no, I don't think so. I guess it's just good to know now before they get to like the marketing of the movie and we think, wait, where is he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I'm glad, to be honest, that they told him so far in advance that, look, really sorry, but we're going to have to cut your role. Because... Yeah, because sometimes that doesn't happen, does it? Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've read stories about Terrence Malick films where like major movie stars will have filmed parts for his films and they'll only find out they're not in the film when they go to see the film. Oh my. <laughs> Which is that, really um... bad really bad have you ever watched Aziz Ansari's comedy show on Netflix uh no I haven't I don't have Netflix oh. unfortunately he's 
he's like an aspiring actor in New York and he's in this movie and they cut him out and he doesn't know until he goes to the premiere. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's awful. <laughs> but yeah, hilarious. So if that actually happens to people, that is just brutal. Yeah. No, it must be the worst feeling. <laughs> <sighs> right. Then the next story is that an official synopsis for the novel Phasma has been released. And this is from the official website for Penguin Random House, which I slaughtered the pronunciation of because I'm doing that a lot today, apparently. Discover Captain Phasma's mysterious history in this journey to Star Wars, colon, The Last Jedi novel. One of the most cunning and merciless officers of the First Order, Captain Phasma commands the favour of her superiors, the respect of her peers, and the terror of her enemies. But for all her renown... Phasma remains as virtually unknown as the impassive expression on her gleaming chrome helmet. Now, an adversary is bent on unearthing her mysterious origins, and exposing a secret she guards as zealously and ruthlessly as she serves her masters. Deep inside the battlecruiser Absolution, a captured resistance spy endures brutal interrogation at the hands of a crimson-armoured stormtrooper, Cardinal, but the information he desires has nothing to do with the Resistance or its covert operations against the First Order. What the mysterious Stormtrooper wants is Phasma's past, and with it whatever long-buried scandal, treachery, or private demons he can wield against the hated rival who threatens his own power and privilege in the ranks of the First Order. His prisoner has what Cardinal so desperately seeks, but she won't surrender it, surrender it easily. As she wages a painstaking war of real wills with her captor, bargaining for her life in exchange for every precious revelation. The spellbinding chronicle of the inscrutable Phasma unfolds. But this knowledge may prove more than just dangerous once Cardinal possesses it, and once his adversary unleashes the full measure of her fury. So yeah, th- this actually took me by surprise. I'm intrigued by this. What's- me too. Oh, good, I'm glad. So I know you're not really normally a Phasma person, but yeah, this actually got me quite excited to read it. Yeah, well, I'm not normally because there's so little to go on, but yeah. this implies that there's going to be something really exciting about Phasma's story. Yeah. Um, and I guess there'll be... So I'm kind of surprised because I just kind of assumed with the the fact that it's going to be about Phasma that it would be about her life like going about in things in the First Order, but it sounds like it's going to be told through this resistance person Yeah. Um, and their memories somehow, or their knowledge of her yeah. life. Um, well, just to think about, like, why would this resistant spy be, I don't know, they're so reluctant to give up information about Phasma, but it's another First Order person that they're trying to hide the information from. Um, and it, it's, I know you've mentioned this in the past, this idea that you're going to be really interested in the story because it's going to give you more of an insight into the First Order culture. Yeah. It sounds like that's what it's going to do because there's this cardinal guy, this brand new character who has a beef with Phasma for some reason. Yeah. Uh, so there's like this politics going on in, inside the First Order where people are trying to step on others to get to the top. So yeah. very interesting. That was really interesting. Like the whole premise of it seems like a lot of the stories can be told through this dynamic between the captor and the captive and like the interplay between those characters and how like they broker like information between each other. Um, like that seems like a really fascinating premise to me. Uh, it could mm. be like really claustrophobic and intense. So I kind of hope it is very much concentrated on those characters so that you don't really get much about Phasma 
like as the narrator for example like it's not like first person focus on phasma it's more that we are seeing a story about phasma but purely told through the eyes of other people mm-hmm. i think that's more interesting to me than getting some kind of like i was born on coruscant <laughs> in 44by and i had my and i had mum and dad called x and x and then we yeah were evicted from our house and life spiraled downhill from there like that kind of nonsense you know um so yeah this is intriguing and i think it sounds like an interesting way to take the story yeah because it makes sense really if they want to keep more mystery around phasma because she is the kind of character you don't want to lay it all out on the table for yeah because especially she's going to be featured in The Last Jedi and maybe Episode Nine, depending on what happens. Yeah. So, have you seen the character posters that they released for these? I did see them briefly. I can't really summon them to mind very quickly, but I'll try and seek them out after this. Because the more we're so, talking about it, the more intrigued I am. Yeah, so there were three posters. I think they're going to be featured in different editions of the book. And there's one of Phasma, there's one of this Cardinal guy, and one of the Resistance Spy as well. Mm. A woman. So they're clearly like the three leads. Yeah. So always up to see new characters. Yeah, totally. It's really fascinating. Um, Right. Is there anything else we want to say about Phasma? I don't think so. I mean, it's coming out pretty soon. Oh, oh, that's true. Oh, actually, I do have um, something else I want to say. Do you have any theories as to what her big secrets could be? Or, like, what the main big secret is? Like, what could she possibly be hiding that's so scandalous? I have no clue. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything. Yeah, it's (laughs) so weird to me. I mean, yeah, maybe she did something to get into the First Order, or, like, I don't know. It could be, like, her own background. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Completely unimaginative. Maybe she started out as a very loyal, like, resistance like soldier. Like or her parents are members of the rebellion or something. But then again, mm-hmm. I guess if you do that, there's the danger of it becoming a bit like the Ben Solo story. Mm. So yeah, you don't want to have too much crossover really. So I don't <laughs> think they're gonna be going for parallel stories with Kylo and Phasma. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Uh-uh. Right, then the next story is that we have had quite a lot of merchandise leaks for The Last Jedi. There's been endless amounts of these. It's been a bit ridiculous. We get like new videos of the pork like, squawking in an adorable way like every day, it seems. Um, mm-hmm. So basically what I've done is I've been selective and I've chosen some of the more interesting toy leaks to talk about. Because, yeah, otherwise you can go on and on and it gets silly. Um, not that this isn't all inherently silly but you know what I mean Um, and yeah so we're going to go through these I I do not count any of these as spoilers because these are literally things you are going to see on the shelves of your Toys R Us and yeah if you're that sensitive I don't think you should be listening to a Star Wars podcast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sorry I don't mean to be mean or exclusionary but yeah I really don't think there's anything earth shattering here um but yeah, so to go through the things, the first thing is that there was a playset leaked. Um, <laughs> I think it's actually really freaking cool. If I were a child, I would jump over myself with excitement because, man, this seriously, this makes me so nostalgic. So when I was a child, I had the cardboard Death Star playset from the 70s. I'm not that old, but it was my dad's and he gave it to me. 
and um, it was just the most fun thing and you could put the characters down the garbage chute and oh it's great and this reminds me of it basically um, and it looks so much fun it does it looks really cool yeah it's really cool I think it's got an insane price tag like it's $200 or something which is ridiculous but um, yeah it does look amazing so basically the idea is that from the outside it's BB-8 but when you open BB-8 up inside there's like a playset that resembles the interior of I think like a superstar destroyer um, and yeah it's got Snoke and a Praetorian Guard and yeah there's all kinds of exciting random shit going on in the box art do you want to describe it for people Kirsty? Uh, sure. Where to start? There's so much. Basically, every character. Yeah. Um. So there's Ray using her saber fighting against the stormtrooper who's attacking her with a blaster. Um. There's little BB-8 in the corner there trying to hide away from the trouble. <laughs> um. There's Rose and Finn fighting more troopers, and at the top, there's Snoke sat on his throne with the Praetorian guard side by side. Um. And then on the lower floor, there's so where Ray is with the stormtrooper, there's an interrogation chair, which is interesting because I feel like that is going to play a part in the movie. Yeah, you've missed out the most important detail, Kirsty, about the interrogation chair. It's gold. Yes, <laughs> it's beautiful, bright gold. Yeah, keeping it classy, Snug. Yep. No, he has his priorities straight. You see. <laughs> so yeah, my current headcanon is that Kylo Ren is going to be in that. Mm. like when he wakes up at the beginning like with his injuries and that but who knows I think that'd be such a fascinating reversal considering that we saw him putting lots of other people in interrogation chairs in the Force Awakens exactly kind of highlight like the mighty have fallen exactly yeah and poetic justice to a certain extent as well it's like this is why it's not very nice to put people in interrogation chairs Kylo it's not pleasant at all (laughs) so you naughty naughty boy um yeah, it's a really cool place. If I had ridiculous amounts of money, um, I would get that for the nearest small child in my life and then play with it, obs- like myself, um, using <laughs> the child as a shield to hide my shame. <laughs> um, but yeah, that you would could happen. still buy it. Nothing's stopping you. I could, but I really do have better things to spend two hundred pounds on. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so dilemma solved, basically. Um, right then, we have pictures of all the Funko Pops that come in. Um, uh, predictably they're all adorably cute because of course they are their Funko Pops um, and so the Praetorian Guard one that's got a bit silly yeah that's not cute that's just it reminds me of not the everything should be a pop no they take it too far really it's a bit embarrassing um, yeah he reminds me of that movie The Fall have you seen that yeah yeah <laughs> like there's all these like bizarre like avant-garde fashions in it and it's mm. a bit like one of those costumes essentially <laughs> um but yeah the pops we're getting they are ray in her jedi outfit finn in his first order disguise poe dameron in whatever <laughs> luke skywalker in whatever kylo ren in... oh the luke one there's actually a really interesting detail oh yeah okay he's Go. he's wearing a necklace with the red kyber crystal in it Ooh, didn't um making star wars say about that yeah so it was nice to see that confirmed like e- even if it's just through merch yeah so the fact that it's there like shown quite prominently i feel like i don't know it kind of lends more credence to the idea that it could be part of the story it's like maybe not just a prop but yeah. i guess we'll see no that is interesting um so yeah like there's lots of like uncertainty hanging around luke and what he's doing and 
whereas allegiances lie and stuff. So yeah, we will see. And there's Kylo Ren, um, in his not very nondescript outfit. Um, Chewbacca with a little pork, which is so cute. And then there's BB-8, and there's Rose, and a pork, and Supreme Leader Snoke. He looks like he's got his hands in his pockets, which is deeply disturbing to me. Um, then a Praetorian Guard, which, like you said, is the most ugly. Um, then First Order Executioner, and then BB-9E, who's like the <laughs> evil BB-8. Um, but yeah, they're all really sweet, apart from the Praetorian Guard. Um, what one of these would you be most tempted by, Kirsty? Uh, maybe Chewy with the Porg. Yeah. But I'm going to be quite strict with myself this year, and I'm probably not going to allow myself to buy any pops because they, you really can get carried away. And, like, they're all so cute. So, and they yeah. come out with endless versions. Like, just these these photos here won't be all of them because they'll do all of them in their different costume changes and stuff. So, yeah. like, you can just see Finn in his undercover uniform there, but you know you're going to get him in his regular costume as well. So. Yeah. No, sure. Um,. I like I don't think I've ever bought myself a pop. I I have some because I've been given them as gifts and I love them. They're really cute and I'm always really grateful when people get them for me. But yeah, it's, it's that whole thing of I have to draw a line somewhere. Right. <laughs> and that line for me is with the pops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a few, but I just you really do have to be quite strict with yourself unless you're a collector, which I'm not. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, then the next few pages, they have Finn, Kylo Ren, Rey, and there was a Luke, but he's mysteriously disappeared from my notes. <laughs> yeah, just rest assured there's a Luke Black Series as well. So yeah, these are all the six inch Black Series figures. And like Finn is in his First Order uniform, and he's looking very cool again. And he has an interesting assortment of weapons as well. Um, I won't go into it here because, yeah, spoilers. But that weapon that he has in that Black Series packaging, Kirsty, that really does make me think of the things we were hearing about his interactions with Phasma in the film. Um, yeah. <laughs> I won't say any more, but it does seem like a very good fit. Um, with Kylo, um, it's not much to say apart from the cloak looks really ill-fitting. It's uh, stupidly big. It is. It's like an like, the 80s more I see it, fashion the more it looks statement. Ridiculous. Yeah, I I want the figure, but I think I'm gonna have to take the cloak off him because it just looks so stupid. <laughs> I'm really interested to see how long in the film he's wearing it because it, it's just so large. Like, why is it so big? Yeah. It's, it's like a big blanket. Yeah, this is comfort blanket like that he needs when he's crying himself to sleep. Burn. <laughs> Sorry, that's mean. Um. Yeah, but I love the art of Kylo on that Black Series cover. That's like mm-hmm. maybe my favourite promo image of Kylo so far. <laughs> which, yeah, it's a good one. Though he does look absurdly like benign in it, which is amusing to me. He's not even like sad. He just looks quite friendly. Which it's is very neutral, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think with the Black Series, I'm going to try and get um, Finn and Rose undercover. Yes, that would be cool. But probably no one else. Because... Yeah. You know, after the TFA ones, it's like, they're not drastically different in costume, so I can't really justify having, like, multiple versions of the same character. Yeah. I know lots of people do, but I have limited shelf space, so. I think for me, I'm going to have to see what the Elite series are like, so I think it might be either or for me. So I'm going to get either Rey and Kylo in the Black series, or Rey and Kylo in the Elite series. I don't think I can justify getting both of them in both series. 
Mm. That makes sense because yeah, I gotta draw that line. <laughs> yeah, I might get a layer as well, depending on what look they give her. Yes, I don't think Leia is going to be part of any of the Wave One figures, to be honest. Mm. Like she certainly wasn't for the Force Awakens. It's annoying, but they tend to deprioritize um, like figures that they don't think will be like as appealing to kids. I think for play purposes. Like it seems the same with Han Solo. I think they are under the assumption that older characters, or at least older hero characters, don't sell as well. Isn't Luke coming out in Wave One? Yeah, that's true. That is true. I guess they make an exception for Luke because everyone goes obscenely gaga for Luke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> they do though. People are freaking obsessed with Luke in a way they just aren't with Han and Leia. Like, mm. and yeah, it's funny. Um, and yeah, then finally, it's Rey. She has everything you'd expect. She has the lightsaber, she has the staff, she has the pistol. Um, and again, I really like the art on her cover. It looks like her hair's down, um, which I think looks very pretty. So I hope she actually wears it like that in the film. Yeah, it's hard to tell if she's still got like one bun at the back there. Yeah. Which is obviously, yeah, like the way that we've seen her partway through the movie. But it's a, kind of a weird angle where it's it could be hidden. Yeah, it could go either way. Yeah, so with the Black Series, do you have any thoughts? Like, beyond you're going to be highly selective? Um. Oh, just mean from the ones that you can see here? Yeah, just generally, really. Like, because, like I say, I somehow managed to delete the Luke image, like the genius I am. So. Yeah, I don't actually think I've seen the Luke one yet. It's not, not, it's not that interesting. He doesn't have any accessories at all. So is he wearing the outfit from the end of The Force Awakens? Yes, he is. Oh, yeah. see, I'd prefer to see him in his newer one, but I suppose there'll be one of those at some point. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am I wonder, I guess they won't package him with his green lightsaber, because even if he is using it, it'll be a spoiler, and people really want to know if he's going to use it. So Exactly, I think it'd be like the Ray having the lightsaber in The Force Awakens situation, where even if he has a lightsaber, they're going to hide it from the marketing. Mm. Yeah, but no other strong thoughts really i mean yeah we'll we'll get much more of them in the next week or so i guess because they'll be hitting shelves so exactly thank god the weight has been interminable <laughs> yeah i'm gonna walk up to target in a bit actually just to see if they've got anything else out early oh good have you found anything at all so far i haven't but i haven't really had a chance to look yet because yeah I've, you know just been getting home and with the eclipse and everything this weekend but um yeah. i saw some photos on twitter that someone had found a ray the Last Jedi shirt in Target. Ooh. Um, so with her like pointing the lightsaber up like on the, the teaser poster. Oh, so I would really love cool. to find that. So I'm going to go and look for that. Yeah, no, do. If you find anything, seriously, come shrieking back with excitement because I want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, right, then the next thing is that there has been a stamp set leaked. Oh my god! <laughs> this is the sum of our lives. <laughs> it says it all. Stamps! Everything Star Wars stamps. Um, and yeah, then the individual stamps, basically everyone. There's like a page of light side stamps and a page of dark side stamps. Um, even General Hux gets a stamp. Oh god, he looks bad. <laughs> he does look pretty rough, yeah. Have you not seen Why these before? Why are they doing that to Jonor? <laughs> He's a handsome man. <laughs> he He looks very tired and sleep deprived. Which, yeah, I guess that makes sense, you know, considering yeah. what's happened with the First Order at the end of The Force Awakens. Yeah, Kylo also looks tired and sleep-deprived, to be fair. I think he just wears it better, because he's meant to, I think. Um, 
But yeah, the the two Kylo images are really funny because one of them he actually looks legitimately intimidating, which is very rare for Kylo promotional images from the Last Jedi. Um, and then the other one is typical because he just looks very emotional and sad, and he's looking behind him like he's frightened. Um, yeah, his wobbly lip. Yeah, very wobbly. It's very sad. There's that cool image of Snoke with his guards in front of him protecting him. Yes. Oh, do you mean Snoke's protecting Kylo? Huh? I wasn't sure what you meant by protecting. No, the one at the bottom, it's Snoke, right? And oh! then he's got his five guards in front of him. <laughs> yes, you're correct. <laughs> what Sorry. do you think I meant? I thought you meant Snoke was protecting scared Kylo. <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely not. Sorry. I'm tired. <laughs> I love that picture of um, Finn as well. I know we've seen it before, but it just looks... Because that, that's one of the ones from that leak, right? Yeah. He just looks very... Han solo Yeah, I was literally about to say that. Especially the way he's cocking his gun. Yeah. Like, it's so Han. Awesome. And it's really great. I love the image of Leia as well in the bottom left. Yeah. Like, Beautiful. I really want to see a better quality version of that. Um, Yeah, like, the image of Luke is also really cool. He He's looking super, like, fierce and intense in virtually every image. And I just love it. What is that background that behind Luke? It's like a very vivid blue, isn't it? Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I'm not sure what it is exactly. I think the background behind Finn is the casino. Mm. Um, just from like the way it's curving. Um, but yeah, with Luke, that's very weird. Um, it might just be a like, generic it's... background. Yeah, I was thinking. I wonder if it's meant to be anything, or if it's meant to just be like the ones of Kylo and Hux, where it's just like all light side background. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's like bright colors. Yay. <laughs> um. But yeah, they're cool. I, I certainly will not be buying them. I, I cannot afford to get into stamp collecting because of Star Wars. But I'm pretty sure that all these images, they're also going to be used for other things. So they're probably like general marketing assets. They won't mm. just be for stamps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll get them on posters and t-shirts and all kinds of nonsense. Um, Right, and then the final story... So Adam Driver has teased unexpected developments in The Last Jedi. And this was reported by The Hollywood Reporter. And they say, The 33-year-old actor doesn't give away any specifics, obviously, but he does make a comment that is interesting when asked by host Willie Geist if fans will be happy with what happens to Kylo. Driver responds, God, I hope. I think it will hopefully unexpected. Because I wasn't actually able to watch this video. I tried but there seemed to be some kind of like region block so I think maybe only people in the US can watch it. Oh okay. Yeah which was a shame. I really wanted to see it but I literally straight up couldn't. Um, Hmm. I saw the preview where it was like this part but I wasn't able to watch the whole thing. Um, Was there much else of interest or was this expanded upon at all? Um, He was also asked about the difference between working with Ryan and JJ. And it was just more about, like, well, Ryan wrote and directed as opposed to JJ working with Kasdan. So the collaborative creative process was just kind of a bit different. Yeah. Um, and it was more Ryan's unique vision. Mm. Um, but, again, he can't give away too much. Like, even this, um, the idea of it being unexpected, that sounds great, obviously. But depending on who you talk to, unexpected can mean very different things. So Yeah, exactly. It really does depend on who he has in mind when like they are thinking of fans because that's clearly who they're passing this mentally in relation to but like do you mean like general Star Wars fans who who like 
consider themselves Star Wars fans, but they don't really think about it that much in their day-to-day lives. I think uh, that's who they're talking about because yeah. this is an interview for a mass audience, you know? Yeah. Like, they're... very little is catered towards actual hardcore fans because they know we consume things anyway. Exactly. <laughs> like... Yeah, like, I don't think, like, they're both talking about, like, Star Wars leaks subreddit um, posters. No. Um, it's going to be about the people who left The Force Awakens and about what they expected based on what they saw upon coming out of the cinema in 2015. I really don't think it's about, yeah, hardcores. So. No, it it would be like, based on what we've seen so far, what would be unexpected for Kylo? So yeah. from from my understanding of it, which, yes, obviously it is biased because I've been thinking about this for nearly two years now. <laughs> but based on the end of The Force Awakens, if you're just going, kind of doing a surface level reading, you think he's permanently on the dark side now, right? That he killed his father and has done, he's he's gone too far, which is what he thinks himself. Yeah. Um, if you're thinking about it from more of like a narrative standpoint it's like he can't really do much worse than that um so for him to have more of an arc he kind of has to go back the way in some fashion but i know there are people out there who strongly disagree with that so um yeah this has been a big fandom debate whether he'll be redeemed or not i think he will be in some way or other but um and i think that when he says unexpected that could be kind of what it's going for but i guess that remains to be seen yeah Exactly. Um, I think that the vast majority of people who saw The Force Awakens, just average moviegoers who like wanted to see a fun space movie and consider themselves Star Wars fans without being obsessive and weird, like I am, <laughs> um, <laughs> they will have watched that film and they would have thought, God, what an unforgivable thing. How could a son possibly kill his father? How could he dare kill Han Solo? I love Han Solo. I can never forgive him. Ever, ever, ever. Yeah, and that's what Ray thinks, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that will be the impression that he is saying people will find is circumvented by The Last Jedi. Because Mm -hmm. I think that is the prevailing opinion. It's certainly the prevailing opinion of just the normal people that I have spoken to who have seen Star Wars The Force Awakens, they do not think Kylo will be redeemed. They think that by killing his father, he was committing himself to the dark side once and for all. And they themselves, on an emotional level, they don't think they can forgive the man who murdered Han Solo. Um, And yeah, that basically is what you are up against as the creative force behind The Last Jedi. If you want to surprise people, then you need to turn the expectation on its head Mm -hmm. so yeah we will see if that comes to pass and if so how okay so for the next segment we're actually going to have a return to an old favorite which we haven't been to for a long time and this is it came from reddit um yeah and this particular post is from the kingslayer so i will read I honestly forget the droid's name, but I think it would be a very neat idea if this droid was used to show the audience Kylo's more redeemable traits without him being instantly all buddy-buddy with the heroes. By the droid, this poster means the, like, evil BB-8. Um, so BB-9E or something. Um, but yeah, like, black mm-hmm. BB-8, essentially. I think this would be a very great way to do this, as being droids, astromexus droids especially, are very much the pets of Star Wars in my eyes. A person caring about something lower than themselves is a good way to show their compassionate and caring side. It was even used for Rey when she had the chance to trade BBA in for 60 portions, but she declined. 
She chose to help a droid more than making life a hell a lot easier for, her, for herself. Look, I'm definitely one for the Kylo Ren redemption train, but right now we haven't seen many redeeming qualities from the guy, bar a few exceptions when it comes to Rey. We've seen a conflicted and tormented young man, which is a great to start, start to his redemption arc, but we need to start seeing a different side to him in The Last Jedi before they even touch on him coming back home. Adam Driver has even stated that we will see Kylo's humanity, and I think this would be a great way for the audience to see Kylo in a different light, even before the film touches on his backstory. In The Force Awakens, Rey put aside her survival instincts and selfishness to help BB-8. In The Last Jedi, I think it would be really cool to have Kylo do the same for his little BB friend. What do you think about this idea, Kirsty? Um, I, I mean, they could go there. I mean, it's tropey as hell, but Star Wars is. Yes. So, yeah, I guess it would be a nice parallel between him and Anakin and Luke as well. Yeah. I think there might be like a kernel of truth in it. I don't think they'd make it as overt as it was with Ray, because with Ray it was literally like Ray has found this adorable little lost puppy. What is she going to do? Is she going to help him? Uh, I don't think it will be anything like that because I don't think this like evil BB-8 droid will be like portrayed as like vulnerable in the way that BB-8 was. Mm. Um, but I could definitely see them having like a rapport between Kylo and this droid, like a bit like Anakin had rapport with R2 in the start of Revenge of the Sith. Right. Um, because we have the sense that Kylo's going to be piloting his um, silencer very early on. And so he's presumably going to be using an astromech droid for that. And you could get a sense for the friendship there. And I think that alone would be a very good start to humanising him and to making people think, wow, he actually has a bit of a buddy in this droid. I didn't imagine Kylo Ren would have any friends. Like, and that would be a good starting point to have people think about him differently and to see him as a human. Yeah, I guess it would be quite subtle depending on the execution, but I guess it, it has that parallel with Luke and ESB as well, right? With him and R2 going off to Dagobah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of like a more mundane kind of interaction for him, which we haven't really seen so far. So. Yeah. We've almost seen Color Rent only when he's like turned up to 11. So exactly. Like the maximum level of angst, the maximum level of drama, the maximum level of inner conflict. Um, we do kind of need to see him operate in a few steps down from that. And yeah, this would be a way to do that. So I I think it's a worthwhile idea. I definitely think there's something in it. Because they're clearly giving him a droid for a reason, beyond cynical merchandising reasons. And I doubt it will be to show him being a complete dick to the droid. <laughs> because oh yeah, that would be redundant. Yeah, it would be redundant. People already have a negative impression of the character. So unless you're going to turn him into like a pantomime villain, then you're not going to have him like be mean to the droid. This is like kicking the cat, you know, you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. And then we are going to move on to the fabled question segment, which is crazy. I know it's been so, so long since we've done this. But we're going to be resurrecting some old questions and we've also got some newer questions that you lovely, kind people have sent in. So thank you very much to everyone. If you have any questions for us, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right. Then the first question is from Olivia via email. With the epic behind-the-scenes footage and new posters of The Last Jedi from D23, I was wondering what is your favourite teaser poster? I would love to know. By the way, I love your podcasts. I tune in every time and you two are the best. Keep up the amazing work, you amazing people. Wow. Aww. 
Thank you. <laughs> it's going to my head. It's going to my head. No, thank you very much. That's really kind of you. That's really sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, what, what was your favourite poster, Kirsty? Um, can I choose the one from Celebration? Because that's still my favourite. <laughs> yes, I think that's I fine. I love it so much. But yeah. if I have to choose from the new ones, um, probably Leia. Mm. I think she looks glam. Nice. Um, How about you? For me, yeah, the definite overall favourite is still the teaser from Celebration. It's such a beautiful poster. And I keep on seeing it all the time because they have not one, but two copies in my local cinema, um, <laughs> which is very thrilling to me. And I have gorgeous. it in my house. Oh, gel, gel, gel. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but, oh, by the way, did you know I went to Celebration? I have that poster. Cassio! <laughs> I have a copy, actually, because um, a friend bought it for me for my birthday as a present, which is really oh, kind nice. of them. But okay, I, so do you have it up yet? No, because it's at my parents' house and I oh, need to okay. get it to where I live. Um, so yeah, that is a work in progress, but it will happen. So it will look beautiful. Yeah, it's such a mood boost just to walk past it because it's so beautiful. Oh God, yes. It will brighten up the room. Um, <laughs> and yeah, from the D23 teaser posters, oh, it's hard. I'd probably say Ray's though. I really mm. like it, um, especially the whole little, little Red Riding Hood vibe. Um, yeah, that's really appealing to me, and it was just a really striking composition with the cape flowing. So yeah, that's my choice. Yeah, they looked great. They did. They're really cool posters. I wish there had been a rose one. Yeah, no, that's a shame. It felt like every other hero character got a poster of their own. So mm. it was weird that Rose didn't. But mm, I guess they maybe don't think she's marketable enough yet. Hopefully for episode nine, when people are familiar with her. Yeah. Right, the next question is from Marie. Hello, I really enjoy your podcasts. I have really learned a lot and I'm impressed with the amount of research that you all do. <laughs> that kind of fell by the wayside recently. <laughs> it's more like, notes, notes, <laughs> put together the notes. <laughs> no, it's fine. We, we will do spotlights again at some point and then we will do like proper research, like get back into it seriously. Right. I was thinking about a theory that I haven't seen and wanted to get your take and see if you have thought about it. I was thinking about what Daisy Ridley said in an interview about being hurt mentally or physically. I was wondering if instead of fighting Kylo Ren, she might be in a battle with Snoke. I was wondering if Snoke tricks or kidnaps her. Your thoughts? Um, What do you think, think Kirsty? I think we'll definitely get her and Kylo, but it's possible we would get her and Snoke towards the end. Yeah. I think if Rey and Snoke happens, it's at the very, very end of the film. Like, either the last yeah, scene and I don't, or I don't the penultimate. Think it would... I'd be very surprised if it's just her by herself as well, because unless Luke and Kylo are incapacitated somewhere, like yeah. they have to be involved on some level, right? Yeah. Because so, otherwise you're kind of skipping to Luke and return the Jedi with the Emperor. I would just be surprised if it's only Snoke and Rey at that stage, because unless, I mean, unless a lot of The Last Jedi is about forming a conflict between those two characters, it would kind of seem to come from nowhere. Yeah. Like, why would she suddenly care about him? So I feel like Kylo or Luke or both would be involved. Yeah. Um, exactly. And I think the suggestion of, like, emotional harm, which I think is what she said rather than mental harm, I might be wrong. It's been a while since I saw the original. Um, but I don't really see how Snoke would be the one responsible for that because I think emotional harm implies there has to be some kind of prior relationship to lead to a sense of betrayal well unless he knew something about her parentage or something yes that's possible but yeah i guess my feeling is just i don't see ray having a personal relationship with snoke <laughs> in the last jedi but we're going to be surprised it's going to have lots of unexpected things so 
there's probably going to be lots of developments and twists, especially in terms of the characters' interrelationships that I'm not planning for and I'm not anticipating at this stage. So yeah, um, I should expect the unexpected, as should we all. Yeah, I think it's likely that she's going to be hurt emotionally and physically, and that's kind of what Daisy was getting at. Because we've already seen images of her with kind of like that bruising on her forehead and the scratch on her arm and stuff like that. Yeah. But you know that with the second movie, obviously her emotions and that, that she's going to be tested. So totally, you can expect to see a lot of struggle with Ray. Exactly. The next question is from SV via email. What do you think the movie about Obi Wan Kenobi could tell us about the character that we don't know yet? It's hmm. a very interesting question. Um, mm. You've got any ideas, Kirsty? Um, I guess it would depend on what kind of movie it ends up being. Maybe that's just kind of what the question is getting at, because it could be like an origin movie, so it could be really young Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Um, or it could be him like between the Phantomness and Attack of the Clones, because you've got a ten-year gap there where he's kind of. I suppose you'd you probably have Anakin in it too, though, and that would kind of divert attention away from him. Um. Oh, I don't know. Because I feel like you kind of do know a lot about Obi-Wan Kenobi based on the supplementary material as well. Like, you get a lot of him in The Clone Wars. He's featured in books like Dark Disciple as well, where you really see more of his flaws. Mm. Um, Although I don't think the films ever paint him as a saint. Um, So this is kind of one of my things with the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. I'm happy about it in theory. I'm just so interested to see what they would tell us about the character that's new. And I don't mean like, in terms of hard canon fact, like so that the Wikipedia entry is updated. Yes. I mean, like, what is it actually adding to our understanding of the character? Yeah, um, sure. And I feel like we we kind of already know him. So unless there's something that they're really going to surprise us with, um, and then that kind of runs the risk of what we were talking about earlier with like retconning the existing canon. Um, I really don't know. Yeah. Unless it's like small little details, mm. like. The whole thing with Obi-Wan Kenobi is that, like we've said, he was on Tatooine protecting Luke. Like, that's his purpose there. So if they go in a very different direction, it, it does kind of cheapen what that kind of sacrifice that he was making for the child that he perceived to be the chosen one. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll just have to see. What do you think? Yeah, um, I think it's a great question. Um, gosh, like, I... Like, working under the assumption that it is set in that time period between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, when he's just stuck on Tatooine looking after Luke, I think something interesting and new it could tell us about that time would be, like, the moments of doubt that Obi-Wan must have had, and, like, the moments of, like, disillusionment and questioning, because that's a hell of a lot of time on your own just to think about things and to mull things over, and he must have second-guessed himself, and he must have doubted himself, and he must have like being uncertain that he was doing the right thing by just staying stuck on this planet and looking after this boy. Um, and I don't think we really get that from the Obi-Wan in the movies. I haven't seen the Clone Wars or or at least beyond a few episodes, so I really can't comment on how what his characterization is like there. But based on what I know the character Obi-Wan to be from the movies, he's always seemed quite like confident and assured for the most part. Um and yeah, I, f- I would be interested in seeing another side to the character in that he's more questioning and contemplating and 
like having everything turned on its head. I guess you see that a bit right at the very end of Revenge of the Sith when it's like, you were the chosen one, you were meant to save us from darkness and not pull us into it, blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing. I know I completely bungled that quote. I guess it could be really interesting to see him dealing with like what happened to Anakin. Yeah. And I guess also the fear that his son might follow the same path as Anakin. Yeah. It's just how do you play that out in terms of a story like you could do that really well with a novel yeah um and there is obviously a kenobi book that's not canon anymore but um yeah it's the kind of thing where you if you're really going for that contemplative stuff you're still going to have to have him interacting with other characters to convey that somehow and it wouldn't be luke um and it wouldn't be vader either yeah so yeah Exactly. I think there's lots of really interesting things they could do with it, basically. Um, right, next question is from Diana. Is Rey's biggest obstacle in this trilogy getting over her hatred of Kylo Ren and beginning to understand him? Hmm. I, I wouldn't say that would be the biggest obstacle for her, but I think it will be a big obstacle for her, especially in The Last Jedi. I think that will probably be one of the main components of the Rey-Kylo dynamic in the next film. What do you think, Kirsty? Mm. I guess it depends what you mean by biggest, because there's always going to be a greater threat, because it's, uh, the way I interpret it, I don't think that Kylo Ren is supposed to be her main villain, because she wouldn't have already beaten him, but in terms of emotional arc, they've kind of set that up as the core dynamic, so um, it it really depends on semantics here. Like, I don't think it's Ray's purpose in the narrative to understand and forgive Kylo, mm-hmm. Um but it's obviously going to be important. Yeah. What do you think? Like, yeah, it, I guess it kind of sounds reductive when you put it like that. No, no, I, I think that's exactly right because like, yeah, it can't be like the sum of her purpose. Like purely, she can't purely be defined by the fact that she reassesses this dude and she thinks, Oh, actually like he's all right. I can understand where he's coming from. That can't be like the main aspect of her arc as a character but I definitely think it will heavily inform her character and her character growth. And that will permit her to like grow and develop and go on to do even greater things. But like getting over that hatred of him and like potentially working together with him and learning from him, that that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the stuff about like, because Rey's destiny obviously lies, she's kind of embodies the light side and Kylo embodies the dark side. So part of her story a big part of it is going to be like what the future of the jedi if any is going to be because that's that's her part in the story isn't it yeah totally um she yeah so like a big part of her story in the last jedi is going to be with luke and like helping him out with that conflict and reservation so a huge part of it is going to be ray understanding her belonging in terms of the force as well yeah Exactly. I'm very intrigued to see what they do with her in the, going forward. Um, right, then the next question is from Melina, again via email. So people have been very good in sending all the questions in. <laughs> um, and she says, Is The Last Jedi lining itself up to be the most emotional Star Wars film? Reasons, the aftermath of Han's death, the potential reunion between Luke and Leia, the potential reunion between Luke and Kylo... Carrie Fisher's last film, learning the tragic backstory of Ben's fall into Kylo, learning that maybe Luke wasn't as innocent as we might have believed. Uh, so yeah, those are all possible plot developments that Melina is suggesting could be particularly emotional. Um, 
but yeah I think it certainly seems to be setting itself up that way like I think it's very emotive just like by the just thanks to the foundation set up by the Force Awakens because Mm. by having the son kill the father that creates this very very loaded and heavily invested personal situation between all the characters who are related and yeah I think when we see those characters spark off each other like Luke and Leia and Kylo and Leia and Luke and Kylo all these kinds of dynamics obviously we don't know that all those characters are going to interact so it's just speculative but when and if those characters do like exchange words and confront each other again it's going to be heavily emotional and yeah I'm really excited to see it yeah I feel like I'm going to be crying through most of this movie yeah because you do have you have those in-universe reasons and then obviously you have the out-of-universe reasons definitely Um, mostly because it is Carrie's last Star Wars film. So Yeah. No. Yeah, don't think there's going to be a dry eye in the house. No. I think it's going to be one of those situations where we're going to see like Carrie's scenes and we're going to project meaning and significance onto them that obviously wasn't there when they were filming because Carrie seemed like happy and reasonably healthy at the time. Like but obviously after she's passed, we're watching it in retrospect with the knowledge that she's gone. And I think then they do gain much more weight and much more emotional impact. So yeah, that's going to be inevitable, I think. Definitely. Um, Right, then the next question is from Tamara via email. Hey ladies, first of all, wanted to mention that you guys are my number one favourite Star Wars fans to follow online. Not only are you smart and kind, you're also so well spoken. Really appreciate all you do. Thank you, that's very kind of you. I I thought I'd made a list of questions for you guys instead of a really long one. You can choose to answer whichever ones you like. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, Right, I like the looks of this one. So, what are some of your other ships, fandoms, past fandoms? So, yeah. How about you, Kirsty? You go first. I know you weren't really much of a fandom person before The Force Awakens, but... um... I wasn't, no. Star Wars is the only fandom I've actually engaged with online. Mm. But there are lots of things that I really love outside of star wars um like fandom wise i'm thinking of things like harry potter because that obviously has a huge fandom yes but um yeah i never went online to speak to other fans about it yeah no um yeah things like twin peaks doctor who Mm -hmm. planet of the apes it's obviously all big franchises yeah those are all excellent choices (laughs) um what about you yeah, I, th- I think I think I've mentioned these before, but um, love Labyrinth. That was my main fandom for a long, long time. Love Jupiter Ascending. Another very big fandom for me. Um, also, really like Doctor Who. Like, but I was more involved in that, like through forums and stuff. Like, I've never really posted about Doctor Who on Tumblr or anything, and I haven't been as into it in the recent seasons. I still watch it and enjoy it, but I'm just not like super hardcore anymore. I'm really looking forward to next season. Yes. I I think they're going to completely switch things up. Um, Obviously, because they've got a female doctor now. Woo! Um, (laughs) So yeah, I'm really keen to see what they do with it. Um, And yeah, God. Um, Yeah, like obviously I love all the normal ones like Harry Potter, his dark materials. Um, Yeah, I'm drawing blank beyond that, but I know there's more. Um, Off Saffron still... British TV show from the late 70s early 80s <laughs> very good um, but yeah 
like I think that's all for me for that question. Yeah. Uh do do do. Right. And then we have one very final question. This question is actually a little bit spoilery, so I'll probably put the spoiler klaxon here. I shouldn't. Do it. Um, but yeah, the question is from Tadja via email. And this goes... I don't remember if I ever wrote to you before, but I like your podcast and I just started listening recently and I've been going back to listen to them all. I love your analysis and speculation and spoilers. You do a great job of gathering info and leaks and putting the puzzle pieces together. I just listened to your behind the scenes episode and I wanted to share my idea about the Force user on Canto Byte. I posted about it on Tumblr. At 47 seconds into the behind the scenes video, there is a scene being shot in Dubrovnik and there is what looks like one of the Canto Byte police, based on leaked photos from last year, and next to him is a mysterious figure in a hooded robe who looks to be holding his hands up in a force user kind of way. Maybe a Knights of Ren? But he doesn't have a mask. You can see his face for a brief moment. He's clean-shaven, so it isn't Luke. Not Snoke, because he was rumoured to be a large puppet bigger than a human. He looks to have either a strange two-fingered robotic hand, or maybe just a glove with tricky lighting. I brightened the image, but it's very low quality. My theory is that this is the guy who has been tossing people around on Canto Bite. I suspect that Kylo may not be the villain of the movie, and it is actually this mysterious person. I heard a rumour that there is another baddie that has not been revealed yet. Some people suspected that it was Holdo, but I think it's this guy. I'm surprised that not more people are mentioning this guy. None of the commentaries I've seen on the BTS are bringing him up at all. While seeming to be revealing all kinds of things, I think the promotional materials are hiding quite a lot in plain sight. What do you think? Is this an unlikely theory? Hmm. What do you think, Kirsty? I think it's interesting because we have that toy set of Snoke talking to the hologram yes. with, um, with the hood up, right? Mm-hmm. Very true. So some, some people were thinking, maybe that's Luke, maybe it's Kylo, but it doesn't have a mask. Um, so it could be this person and it was making Star Wars who said that there's going to be a new villain that's that's going to be maybe included in some of the promotional material. Yeah. So we haven't seen him like officially introduced yet or anything, but it could even be something like this where he's featured in behind the scenes footage like this, but no one's really talking about him. Mm. So it kind of is hiding in plain sight, like they say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who's... Who's to say? Because this is the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, totally legit theory could totally be part of it, but there's not much more to go on right now. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see if there's more promotional material that hints at it. Um, The Holdo stuff, I do feel like she's going to be a point of conflict, but she can't really be the main villain, I don't think. Yeah, like that gives me two major like Hunger Games vibes, to be honest. Like Mm. Because they're all the evil people were like primped up and pretty looking. Um, and yeah, it would be a bit derivative, I think. So yeah, and it would also be a bit expected. They've already got like the whole Holdo's a bit evil. She's like this opposing force to Leia and stuff. Like, so it's a bit predictable. I think it would be more unexpected and more interesting if, like you said, Kirsty, she's a source of conflict, but she's not like evil. She's not malevolent. She just has very different views on things and very different ways of going about things. Mm. I think that'd be way more interesting and there's much more potential for an interesting story by doing it in that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, about the theory is certainly very interesting. And 
I do think it resonates with what we've heard from like making Star Wars about like a mysterious villain who hasn't been introduced yet. Um, and yeah, like if we, they do go on the Kylo Ren redemption train, which, to be honest, they really seem to be preparing us for in unsubtle ways. <laughs> then yeah, they need someone to fill that void. They need a villain to take Kylo's place because if he's not going to be going around menacing the galaxy, who is? Yeah, because for a while I think people were speculating that Luke would be on Canto Bite because people were kind of being thrown um, by what looked to be a Force user, but it just doesn't it doesn't make sense based on the timeline that seems to be building up for mm. Luke to be there. So yeah, it's possible still. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't put my money on it. No, definitely. Right, I think that is probably a good place to wrap things up. Um, we hope you enjoyed us actually going back to the normal framework for a change and get into a Reddit segment and getting some questions. It's actually really nice to do those things again because over the summer we've obviously been very busy and we've had other things on and it is still going to be a bit skewy schedule-wise for the next couple of weeks because we are still busy but we are both back on our respective home turfs now so things should settle down and we'll be smoothing back into a more normal schedule soon. Yeah, we're hoping to get some more spotlight discussions going soon. But if people have suggestions for what they'd like us to talk about, send them in. Yeah, do. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, right, I think that's all for now. So you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Stars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. And please do tune in next time. Bye. Bye.